Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF public media show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sessingham, co-host of Florida Matters. I'm here in the WUSF studio with Florida Matters producer Stephanie Colombini. Hey, Robin. Hey. Also joining us today is Susan McManus, distinguished professor at the University of South Florida in the Department of Government and International Affairs and a much sought-after political analyst. Hi, Dr. McManus. Hi. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30, Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. Stream it on WUSFnews.org. You can also hear it Mondays at 10 p.m. on Classical WSMR 89.1 and 103.9. This week on Florida Matters, we are hearing highlights from Governor Rick Scott's State of the State address, his last one, where he kicked off the new legislative session in Florida. Dr. McManus, was there an overarching theme this time as much as there was in the past? It wasn't jobs, jobs, jobs. Did he really have a theme this time? Yes, he did. And of course, that's his accomplishments, which is typical for the last year of a governor's term. Mm -hmm. And he's termed out after this one. It's very typical that you go back and you try to reiterate and reinforce what you think you have done for the state of Florida. Over his whole eight years, then. The like whole eight years. Yeah. Tying this it up was in not, a bow. Absolutely. And so, no surprise, he emphasized the things that he's emphasized from the first time he ever ran jobs, jobs, jobs. Right. Which <laughs> the state's doing well. Yeah, and the economy and cutting taxes and reducing the debt. Uh, He did add a little bit about Puerto Ricans, helping the Puerto Ricans, some current Mm -hmm. things. And he also talked about um, the emergency management that he and his administration uh, engaged in after the hurricane and during the hurricane. This touted that as an accomplishment. So his theme was kind of like... This is my last one. Let's look back, kind of take a trip down memory lane. Here's where we started. Here's where we are now. Now vote for me for senator. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's a little bit of that. Uh, In fairness, he also did talk about people that he feels like that his policies and the legislators' policies have helped but still need more help. He talked about uh, sexual harassment victims, and he talked about – opioid addiction and drug abuse and mm-hmm. how that's hurt families and individuals. He talked about the need to help uh, care for uh, fallen uh, first responders and police officers and also uh, talked about how that the foster care program had been improved and that more children had been adopted during his last few years, but still more to be done for veterans and All in all, um, he didn't talk a lot about specifics on education or the environment or transportation infrastructure. He kind of ended that they needed to do more. He basically ceded that to the legislature. You all take care of that. Mm -hmm. Right, which I was kind of surprised because, I I mean, he's sort of taken this turn this year with a big push for environmental funding, which – 
you know, people never really saw Governor Scott as an environmentalist or anything like that. But he's time. definitely pushing it more, more. And there's a really big reason why. And why? that's because of the size of the two youngest generations, the millennials and Gen Xers now make up almost half of Florida's registered voters. And they are environmental voters. And in fact, we've seen through the USF Nielsen Sunshine State Survey the environment increasingly become a more important top issue. It's now either the second or third most important issue behind the economy. So there's a reason why he's pushing the environment uh, a lot more. Which is why I was surprised. It literally, I think, got a sentence or two in the speech. But Mm -hmm. I think that just goes to the theme that it really was touting his past accomplishments and what he's done over his career. It wasn't as much of a campaign for 2018 Mm -hmm. speech. Um, Here's what's going to come next. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at $3.8 billion, yeah, it was kind of surprising he didn't say more about because he, he definitely could have talked about the springs turning, you know, mm-hmm. a horrible shade of green and, and clearing those up. I mean, that, that would have been a, a nice visual. Right. But he didn't he didn't take that opportunity. Well, and I th- it was an Oscar Brennan and his Democratic response mentioned the the water, you know, that's got cancer in it or, you know, toxic water that, um, you know, he kind of attributed to being under Scott's regime. So there was some on the Democratic response kind of calling him out for not doing enough. He did put, and and specifically, I was looking at the budget proposal uh, towards, I think, what he might have been talking about was around Lake Okeechobee. Uh, They had a lot of bad problems there. So he did specifically put money in the budget for shoring up the dike around Lake Okeechobee and trying to clear up some of those water problems. And that was one of the big priorities, of course, of the uh, president of the Senate. Negron, right. Joe Negron. The Lake Okeechobee area because they've had a lot of intrusion, saltwater intrusion. Again, our our survey, USF Nielsen, showed that saltwater intrusion is a big issue in the Naples area and also southeast and southwest Florida. Yeah, that sounds horrible mm-hmm. to think about saltwater coming into your water supply. Right. Was I the only one who was surprised about this uh, amendment, a con- Florida amendment to Florida's constitution that would impose a supermajority, which is a two-thirds vote instead of a simple majority, um, for any vote to raise taxes or fees from the Florida legislature. I wasn't at all surprised because Republicans have for years been fiscal conservatism, given Florida the reputation of an anti-tax state because every time that we've put constitutional amendments before the public, cutting taxes or, you know, giving financial relief to people, different groups of people, Florida voters have said, yes, we want that. This is a fiscally conservative state. There are some indications that that might be changing, but this is certainly in sync with what Republicans see as a way to better protect the middle class. You heard both Brainin and Cruz talk about their views are that the Republicans have not helped the middle class, but Republicans see these kinds of making it harder to raise taxes You're, and fees as in sync with how they would see helping the middle class. Th- Two different views of the world. Right, yeah, those are the ones that gave the Democratic response. Right. Um, I guess it was just a surprise to put it in, in the Constitution uh, like that. I guess uh, to me it felt like he was just ensuring his legacy. You know, yeah. I, while I've been here, I've been cutting taxes, but I want to make sure when I leave we don't get 
which I think is what he, kind of what he said. We he don't did. know what's coming down the pike. You know, I've been great, but who knows who's <laughs> coming next? Right. What do you think will happen with that amendment? I suspect that it'll probably make it onto the ballot in November. And, of course, it would take a 60 percent yes vote for it to be adopted and put into the Constitution. And there's a good chance of that happening, given, given the, the uh, history. Yes, uh, it's not a sure thing, of course, because as we see, the age demographics of Florida are changing a little bit in attitudes about government and what it should and should not do. Younger generations tend to be more in favor of government being more involved in public policy than they used to be. Hmm. I was a little surprised that he brought up, that he mentioned state attorney how do you pronounce her name? Aramis? Aramis Ayala? Aramis He didn't mention Ayala. her by name, but he did allude to her, the prosecutor. He said that he took cases away from um, in regards to the um, – so Prosecutor Ayala. In Orlando. In I Orlando. Um, she had – basically resisted to pushing for the death penalty. She, she said she wouldn't would not, ever, ever push yeah. for the death <laughs> and penalty. And that started in the case of the man who mm-hmm. uh, point blank basically shot dead these uh, Orlando police officers. Um, she had said she would not pursue the death penalty in that case or any case. And that led to Scott just jumping on her and taking away all of or the bulk of the cases that she was – um, overseeing at that time, and it was for months a huge back and forth feud. Well, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that that was inappropriate right. because she took the oath of office to enforce the law, and the law is that it's the, legal. The death penalty is right. Legal. It wasn't up to her to change the law, right? But it was very. I guess I was surprised because it was a very controversial issue, and um, and it was a national. It made you know it's national news, and it was sort of like. I sort of felt like, why bring that up in your state of the state, something that a lot of people were up in arms about? I feel like that was him kind of saying, I'm me. Like, this is who I am. I'm not changing. I've long said, you know, you know, law enforcement, I'm going to support no matter what. And that was basically his message was that, you know, I think his words, you know, in Florida, we have zero tolerance for attacks against law enforcement, period. So he wasn't going to change his viewpoint just because it was a controversial issue. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. So is our state of the state address is normally the place to bring up something like that, something controversial? Absolutely. Uh, I love when I teach Florida politics and in, in the state and local politics to have my students read or listen to or watch state of the state addresses in other places because you can almost always immediately get a sense of the demographics of a state the the big issues um, and their economy, their economic, you know, backbone, so to speak, uh, and and they're obviously uh, the statement of what a chief executive feels like they want to emphasize and they want people to remember about them, particularly as we said earlier in this case where it's his last one ever, his eighth one, and he just wants people to remember him. Jobs, jobs, jobs pretty much sums up how he started and sort of how he ended. Mm-hmm. Just, do you think he people give him enough credit for the low unemployment rate in Florida or the attitude towards him on that? Issue? I think attitudes are that, you know, if the economy's bad, the governor or the president gets blamed hugely. <laughs> 
But if the economy's good, oh, well, it was a natural kind of thing. It gets some credit for it, but it, they get worse blame when it's bad. And he tried to show how bad it was when he started and how good mm-hmm. it is as he's ending, which, of course, you would expect that uh, anybody, whether it was a Democrat or Republican, at the end of their term to stress what they felt that they had been most successful at as a governor. Yeah. And then you heard Senate Minority Leader Oscar Brainin and his Democratic response basically say, yeah, you've provided jobs, but are they good jobs? You know, the unemployment rate might be down, but are people getting proper wages, benefits? So that's like the other issue that some critics of Scott take is, yeah, you've maybe increased jobs, but if they're not good jobs, are you really helping the middle class? Yeah. They certainly think, have a different worldview of it. And when you right. think about it, I always come back to how divided Florida is. We're the most divided state politically in the whole country. Four elections in a row, two governor's races, Scott's two races, and both of Obama's presidential races, the margin of victory was 1%. So we're very, very divided. And so Democrats... Uh, have a lot of supporters who view Florida's politics under Republicans exactly as they articulated it. Then you have Republicans who who view it totally as Scott articulated it. So we have really two views of similar public policies in Florida, and that's the nature of our political one, system. One thing I, I don't understand, I'm so glad to have you here to explain <laughs> something to me. So I don't understand with these national elections being so close, like you pointed out, why is our state legislature overwhelmingly Republican? You'd think we'd have a much closer margin there in our state legislature. It all boils down to redistricting. And a lot of that tracks back to the 80s when the courts were ruling that you had to draw majority-minority districts. And so you have legislative districts that are, um, you know, designed to give minorities an equal opportunity to elect candidates of the choice. This is a Voting Rights Act. And so what you had was the, the urban areas became the districts that were carved out there were minority-majority districts, and that meant that the suburban and outlying rural areas tended to be a little bit more Republican, and so that's how it happened initially. It's changing slowly. Democrats are winning districts. They won a few last election. They'll probably pick up a few this time, including some congressional districts. But a lot of it has to do with living patterns. And increasingly, it's really hard to say that redistricting can be done methodically such that it reflects the overall registration patterns of the state. You would have this similar percentage of people in the legislature that are Democrats, whereas now it's one-sided. The problem that we're seeing in Florida and elsewhere, sociologists have looked at this, people are increasingly moving Mm. to like-minded communities, politically like-minded. And as I point out often, it's really hard to draw a Democratic district in Naples and really hard to draw a Republican district in southeast Florida. A lot of this election this year, people are forward-thinking to redistricting because the mm-hmm. next governor will be able to control, uh, veto uh, certain plans. And so that's why Democrats would love to win the governor's chair back. They haven't had it in some time, and Republicans would love to hold on to it. 
All right, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. It's Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank Stephanie Colombini and Dr. Susan McManus from University of South Florida. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSFnews.org. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. It would also be really nice to leave us a review if you like what you hear. Thanks.